This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. In this episode, we continue to honor the legacy of my late mother. And no celebration of Anne Rice would be complete without a trip to her hometown, the city that care forgot, New Orleans. Every Halloween for years, the Anne Rice Vampire Lestat fan club had held a glittering costume ball to celebrate Anne's work. But in 2014, when Anne resurrected her most iconic character in the pages of her new novel, Prince Lestat, the first addition to the Vampire Chronicles in years, the resulting gathering turned into a delighted frenzy. Eric and I conducted the interview you're about to hear inside Anne's suite at the Monteleon Hotel in the French Quarter on All Saints Day the morning after the Lestat coronation ball. And no one can describe that event for you better than the guest of honor herself. So please join us for a return trip to New Orleans, the city of Anne's birth, and the city that became a haven for her vampires, witches, and generosity of spirit. Join us for another Dinner with Anne. I went to a marvelous party. Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you're listening to The Dinner Party Show for November 2nd, 2014. And tonight, we will not be discussing the costumes on display at last night's Lestat Coronation Ball in New Orleans, because with Anne Rice fans, it's often hard to tell if it's a costume or work attire. And we certainly don't want to insult anyone's personal taste. Also not being discussed on tonight's show, the ongoing feud between myself and rock idol John Bon Jovi over the fact that I received top billing on the dedication page of Anne Rice's new novel, Prince Lestat. Better luck in the next book, John. Try remembering her at Christmas. We will not be discussing reports of a beignet shortage at Café du Monde after our arrival in the greater New Orleans area this past hmm. week. These reports are overblown, and we are confident they have been started by Stephanie Myers fans. <laughs> and we won't be discussing the fact that I spent most of Anne and Christopher's joint book signing earlier today performing excerpts from my one-man musical mashup of Prince Lestat and the Vines. Every day a little drink. As for everything else, it's still on the table on tonight's special episode of The Dinner Party Show, coming to you from Anne Rice's hotel room in New Orleans, Louisiana. <laughs> I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash thedinnerpartyshow. No, I meant in the car. 
Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Welcome to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And who are you, (laughs) ma'am? We have invaded your hotel suite here in New Orleans, Louisiana, right? We are not going to say where your hotel suite is because we don't want, you know... Uh, you know, unwelcome visitors at your door in the middle of the night. You mean besides us. Besides us and our recording equipment. But this is our first ever remote edition of the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. So naturally. It is the day after the Lestat Coronation Ball in New Orleans. And we're going to talk about who wore what and who gave the dark gift to who and who got second lined. And let's start with the most important question. Did you have a good time? I had an incredibly good time. 26 years the fan club, Lestat's fan club, uh, has been giving these balls, and this was, for me, one of the best. It was really incredible. Susie Kiros deserves all the credit. She was just wonderful. Mm-hmm. It was quite the event. It was. It was quite the event. I, I think you have to see something like this in New Orleans to believe it, really. It can't be described what it's like to go into a big space where a thousand people are gathered with uh, in people every chanting. Costume. And, yes, in every imaginable costume related to vampires, ghosts, witches, fantasy, Halloween, whatever. It was just, it was just splendid, absolutely splendid. Well, thank you for your time. That's all we have on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, the thing that kept occurring to me last night as it was happening, and it really was, it was. It, it was beyond the carnation. It was the resurrection ball. There was the, it was like a tribal priestess returning home and all of these people involved in all of their fantasies and all of their ways that they were connected. What must it have been like for you to stand there and feel... When you write a book, you're creating something, but all of this was as a result of your creative imagination. Like Obviously, other people were joining in, but still, the seed of it all was you. Well, it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I, I feel gratitude, just incredible gratitude. I mean, any author who tells you that she doesn't care whether or not she, her books are read is lying. I mean, I, I became an author to be read. And so to have <clears throat> all these people coming here to celebrate um, this ball and all of these people saying, we've been reading your books for years, your books have inspired us, we're dressed as this character, that character, it's incredibly rewarding. Incredibly, but they're taking it into their lives. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's almost intoxicating, right? Yeah. yeah, there were moments when you would look over the balcony at the the crowd below and have this sort of you were just watching like in amazement, almost of like, oh I my was. god! I was, and I was watching all these people have 
a really benign good time. You know, it was a very wholesome, wonderful atmosphere. What did you say last year? We attended the ball last year, but it was a different feel because Lestat wasn't back yet. This it was year, a different Lestat venue, too. It, it was, was a, also a different venue mm -hmm. when you went down to the stage last year and spoke on stage. But this year they brought you a microphone up to the second level and you addressed the crowd, Ava Peron style. <laughs> but you said <laughs> something last year on stage where you said it was about the people there had figured something out, what life was about, that life was about beauty and enjoyment or some combination mm -hmm. yeah. of the two. Yeah, they were living their fantasies. Right. They were they were romantics and they were poets and they were they were they were dressing up, dressing to the nines and living their fantasies and it was wonderful to see that. And I felt the same thing this year. I I mean I absolutely love them and I love it it's it's wonderful to see these people come up to you with dresses that they've carefully made and assembled, all filled uh -huh. with sequins and paste jewels and, and bustles and ruffles and lace. And the men in the gorgeous frock coats and, and uh, you know, um, paisley vests in satin and bright colors and the layers of lace at the And throat. the hats. There yeah, were hats the hats were cool. Yeah. Hats. Totally yeah. cool. Yeah, the Dia de los Muertes hat, the woman who had the yeah. skeleton, full skeleton standing on her head. It was yes. spectacular. Yes. So nobody prepared us for what was waiting for us right when we got there, but when our limo bus pulled up, there was a huge line of people outside of the nightclub, which was Republic in the warehouse district on South Peters. And, and then the fan club officials descended upon the door of the limo bus and began handing out handkerchiefs. Mm -hmm. And they gave you an umbrella. A little black umbrella, a little black satin umbrella with ruffles. Which is all equipment for a second line, which is a New Orleans thing. There's actually second lines going on outside our hotel right now because people, when they get married in New Orleans, they have a second line. Or the funeral. That's where I think it started was funeral. I know, and then the yeah. wedding the took line. it over. Uh, but they gave you the umbrella, and typically in a second line, as one member of our party pointed out, you, you bounced the umbrella up yes, and down, but yes. you held it very primly against your head as if you were shielding yourself. Well, you know, I knew rain. I was supposed to be dancing and, and, and dancing and bouncing the umbrella about, but I, I felt that I should remain grateful and, and happy about what they were doing, and yeah. I didn't try to upstage them. You know, I just held my little umbrella and I gazed in awe at the Mardi Gras Indians right. who were greeting us. I was going to say, upsetting, upstaging anybody in that setting was a waste <laughs> of anybody's time. It was astonishing. They were chanting, Anne Rice is home, the storyteller is home. And yeah. everyone in these thousands of people were chanting it with us. And yeah. we were walking behind, waving the handkerchiefs in the air. And you were just drinking it in. It was amazing. I know. So, so I was deliberately not you know, flashing about with my umbrella. I didn't, I didn't. You felt I, like a member of the audience in a way. You wanted I to see everything like they were the doing. I felt like a dead person at a funeral. I was being honored <laughs> and I should lie there like that. You know? What would the funeral be if the corpse got up and stole focus? Yeah, well, you know what the Corpses corpse are always trying to steal funerals, but, but yeah. Let, let me explain something for, for the people who are listening. If you don't know what a Mardi Gras Indian is, this is a long tradition uh, in the black community in New Orleans of Mardi Gras Indians. These are people that work on their costumes all year. Unbelievable. And the costumes, costumes. are Ameri Native American costumes, but they're much fantasized and they have huge amounts of colored feathers. And Mar traditional Mardi Gras Indians are very individ individualistic about their costumes right. and, and very delightfully competitive. And they have territories in the black right. community where uh, one Mardi Gras Indian reigns and another one reigns. And they don't go into each other's territory without very official greetings and dances and so forth. And 
two Mardi Gras Indians, quite official Mardi Gras Indians, met us at the bus, and they were the ones doing the chanting. So that's a great crowd. honor in New Orleans to any little girl born in the city when you have a right. real authentic Mardi Gras Indian yeah. reading you. And, right. and this Indian was absolutely incredible, and it, she was a she. Mm -hmm. And she was doing the chanting that I can't imitate, but you can give, mm -hmm. the, you can give the listeners a... a <laughs> Anne wrote the story. Yeah. Anne is back. The queen is back. I mean, just over and over. And we said it would be great to have her go to the airport with you. Anne has a flight. She's got to get to Chicago. But, you yeah. know, she really, she was doing just a bang-up job because was everyone was different. Yeah. And she was rhyming and it she was, was making like, it, it up was as she like went along. It was like slam poetry is what it was, it was like. Fabulous. It was like a poetry performance. And yeah. it captured the audience. It and captured we, we the And we danced into the middle of this big nightclub, which was a great space because it was one gigantic room with a upper story, mm -hmm. uh, you know, balconies all around where you could look down. And we stood in the middle of the dance floor and the Indians kept up this incredible salute and dance and chant and, and, and I was that. so yeah. honored man and I the people so on honored. two levels joining yes. in with that yes. chant and with yes. that rhythm and dancing with you and yes and we were all swinging our little white handkerchiefs you know uh, I joked that that because I was the tallest member of the group I was really just swinging the handkerchief to keep the group together as we were pushing <laughs> through the crowd you know because yeah. I was also thinking that there's no way any celebrity, author or otherwise, could have done this in any city that wasn't New Orleans. There's no, no way security would have allowed no, them to do it because no. we just went straight through the middle of the club, right yes, through the middle of everyone, with yes. maybe two guys on either side of us. But, yes, it you was know. great. And, People fell, melted away, and then folded back in behind you. Terrific vibes. Beautiful. Terrific vibes. I mean, I, I, I wonder what would happen if you did fly the whole second line team, including the Mardi Gras Indians, to another city and try this. I don't know. I don't know if that it would work because when you do something like this here, everybody around you begins to swing and dance and right. stomp and clap and join in, join in, and they all know how to do that. They know how to just give themselves to that Dionysian dimension. It was. It really might be. Great. Have you ever seen that famous video of Ronald and Nancy Reagan trying to clap along with the gospel choir and they're completely totally, out of rhythm yes. just for the whole time? <laughs> that made, that's sort of what it's like when New Orleans music tries to go uh, <laughs> transnational, if you will. But the amplification did come from the spirit of the crowd. They yes. caught, it was like that thing they used to do in the, the Occupy Wall Street thing with the microphone where they didn't have a microphone and everybody would repeat what the speaker was saying and it would echo through the crowd yeah. as a result. They picked up the energy and it went on and on. After oh, doing yeah, the we dance did. floor, we then went upstairs sure, for, and stood yeah. on the second balcony and you regarded yeah. the crowd and they reacted to you. It yeah. But we did on. that dance down there in the center for everybody to see and participate in. And that, that's one of the things I love about these balls. They're unstructured and they're and 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 they're there for everybody to join in. And there, and there is no uh, elite group or anything like that. We did sit upstairs in a section where there was limited access but we invited people in all night long you know mm -hmm. to talk to right. in groups and oh, it was it's, astonishing it's just there was even a, a marriage proposal oh yes can we go to the marriage proposal can we describe that yes absolutely well two people came up and the woman was in what i would call an akasha costume she was um wearing uh she was beautiful just mm -hmm. gorgeous and and the man was in a top hat of some sort and a wonderful black frock coat and, and vest and he asked me if he could propose to her Right in front of me, and I said, "Well, of course." Well, she was completely surprised. So she, wait, did he did he whisper it to you so yes, she wouldn't hear? Yes, she had no idea. Okay. He said, "I want to propose to her," and I and I said, "Absolutely." And he pulled out the ring, and she was completely surprised. And he knelt down, proposed to her, put the diamond ring on her finger, and it was a 
great diamond ring, I can wow. tell you. As, as an engagement ring person, you know, <laughs> it was quite as stunning. As a woman who likes as her rings. Well, not, not rings. you know, who knows yeah, you would, anyway. Well, because of proximity, literally, the woman was sitting immediately next to Anne, and so he was almost on Anne's knee, resting yeah. the ring yeah. as he was he asking was. the question. Yeah. It was happening right here. Literally. And it was a beautiful moment because they were deeply in love, and they kissed. She burst into tears. Yes. Everyone in the room applauded. It, it was great. With all I'm of that so going on around them. Yes. Oh, thank heavens. Oh, heaven. think if she had said, said no. Said no oh, we would have had to throw, throw them both out. We would have had to carry him out. Yeah, they would have been bringing down been our momentum. Heartbreaking. But there were, there were, every group of people that I met and interacted with, they were all wonderful. That, mm -hmm. that was a very beautiful thing to see that. And then, of course, this ball was the Lestat coronation ball. So yes. we had three people who were dressed as Lestat and sort of living oh, them, four people amazing. actually. Amazing. And we had a winner, Brent, mm -hmm. Brant, Brant, and he's legally changed his name to Lestat Brant the Leon, Leon Corps. Okay. And uh, he was the clear winner, okay. and he was just wonderful. And they put the gold crown on his head and gave him the scepter, and then I presented him with a set of um, black leather-bound uh, copies of the first three Vampire Chronicles and a copy of Prince Lestat made out to him especially. Beautiful. So. And he and, made a wonderful speech. He did. He made a great speech. And Brent is part of a group that just lived the characters. There was an Armand in the group. It was wonderful, wonderful. The Louis, that was just terrific. Uh -huh. A Pandora, who was, it was beautiful. And Amazing. an Akasha. Yes. I mean, they're oh, all great. I can't that tell Akasha, you. That Akasha, she was so, so it was stunning. Like, like Brent took the award, but it was for, I think, the whole, it made the whole group happy, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it was you were, she spoke to you the night before at the meet and greet about, Pandora did, about how your writing had brought them together yes. as a group of friends. Yeah, I, I love those stories. I love it. I love it. We also had party people there. Buffy Peterson, who is yes. a loyal listener of the show, was in attendance. She said um, it was like trying to get through a room full of people who'd had their hips super glued together. She could <laughs> really was yeah. cheek by jowl. It was quite yeah. the crowd. There was a moment when it was it you who said you feel like we're in a Victorian zoo because we were behind this roped off area and everyone was sort of looking. People just literally were yeah. pressed up against the line, watching, watching Anne, watching Anne. She would mm -hmm. go to the, she would go stand at the the edge of the stage, and everyone from the dance floor would look up and pay tribute yeah. and wave and <laughs> carry but go right on with their dancing and reveling yeah. even as they were enjoying well, the, they were sharing it with you I like that two-tier system I thought it was good because I was able to see a lot of them and wave to them in mm -hmm. particular and if I hadn't been up there if I'd been down in the crowd it would have been more frustrating for me to try to connect with all those people mm -hmm. so so it's, it sounds awful that I was way up there waving it was perfect know, and was, I think people loved it it also because of the second story thing gave people the chance that were standing around the railing to watch mm -hmm. you from... It wasn't just the people at the rope line that had the, a view right. of where you were, yeah. but there were all of the people all the way around, and they yeah. were people who stood there all evening observing whatever it was yeah. that you were doing, who you were meeting, and many of them managed to work their way around and be presented. It was it was perfect. Mm -hmm. And your friend Mary came... Are we good for... Yeah, we're good. Uh, Mary cool. Fall, the well, lead singer of October Project, performed the song that she wrote about the wolves of midwinter, right? right? Exiles, and two other songs. Two other wonderful Just songs. Just amazing. And I was right up above the stage where I could see Mary and I could blow kisses to Mary as she was singing. I thought... I mean, Mary's voice, if you haven't heard it, I just... I, I don't know how many people listening have heard the October Project, but they wrote a song years ago for Interview with the Vampire. It was called Take Me As I Am. 
and it's a very beautiful hypnotic song. Well, I happen to mention that song in The Wolves of Midwinter. Um, Reuben hears it through a doorway, and he knows that there is no way that music can be anything but spectral music. Right. And, and, of course, there is a ghost in the room that he right. sees. And when Mary found out that I had mentioned the song in the group, she decided to write a song especially for oh. the Wolves of Midwinter, Exiles. And I was so honored. I mean, I was just blown away that she did it. And it was on the CD that people bought of the audiobook of Wolves of Midwinter. Her song oh, is on the CD. And so to me, it was absolutely incredible that Mary was there. And the song Exiles is a haunting, beautiful song that works for vampires, werewolves, witches, any, any sort of outsider, any sort of marginalized, um, immortal, supernatural game. And that's been a big part, I think, the fans have talked to you about what a big part of that has been the appeal of the of the chronicles for their in their own lives of feeling a, a kindred sense as an exile of feeling a part of you right i have heard that more on this book tour than ever before people coming up and sharing how they felt like an outsider until they discovered the books usually they're say 12 13 sometimes even 11 uh 14 years of age and then they felt they had something with the books that gave them a certain amount of courage and, and uh, a good feeling. And I have never heard it from so many readers before is on this trip. And I'm so gratified, so happy Do you about think that. you're hearing it more because Lestat is back? Yeah, yeah. I do. Right. I think because they identified with him in particular. Now, how long has it been since the last, since Lestat took a break? Um, it's been um, 11 years. It, it, I've, I finished... Blood Canticle in 2002, and it was published in 2003. So it's been 11 years. So if years. I was 13 years old and reading mm -hmm. Blood Canticle 11 years ago, then it's I'm a 25-year-old person right. coming to my own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what, a, what an amazing a, a part to these, play. A lot of these people discovered um, the first few Chronicles earlier than that even. So there, there are a lot of different ages. But what they keep telling me is that they were 13. 12. Really? 11. That's, that's yes, the age? Yes, I have heard that. I heard it in New York, all through the line at 192 Books, where mm -hmm. we did our <clears throat> first signing, October 28th, and I heard it all through the conversations last night, over and over again, 11, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Very inspired by that. Very, I'm very inspired. Because I always knew there were a lot of people, but I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know the, this many, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very powerful, and it seemed last night at the ball that the gift that you'd given them was freedom, mm -hmm. because that's what seemed yeah. to me to be unfolding there, was it was about freedom. It was about people freed to be but, who they wanted to be. And freed from their bodies, too, I think, is part of it. The, 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 it's about being in touch with your spirit, you mm -hmm. know, freed from the sort of constraints of the physical. It's about. Mm -hmm. It seemed to be about transcendence uh, to me. That, I think that, so. That the enjoyment and the beauty around it comes from that, and that yes. the, the vampire's opportunity comes from that, as opposed to just being a monster, yeah, you know, or a predator. Yeah. That that's what's immort That's what immortality is really about. Mm -hmm. You know, the freedom to pursue grand spiritual pursuits because mm -hmm. you have all the time in the world, or to consider cosmic questions without the ticking clock of a human lifespan floating mm -hmm. over you. Yes. And, and a freedom maybe from a, a crushing gender oh. confusion. Right. You know. More oppressive gendered. Uh, yeah, some oppressive 
gender problems. Yes, the whole issue of people being forced into having to pick a particular, play a role. It's like being cast and said, yeah. told, this is the role you must play. Well, I, I experienced that when I was 13 and 14. I was told all the time that I wasn't feminine, that my steps were too big, that girls just didn't talk the way I talked. Ah, uh, Catholic school. Well, it wasn't just Catholic school. I mean, it was society the way it was in the 50s. It was the way teenage girls felt about themselves. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, you, you mix the adolescent need to belong and to feel like you're okay, and you mix it with that kind of gender pressure, and you get kind of a toxic problem. Mm -hmm. So the Times-Picayune is now one of two local papers, and I think they've interviewed you about three times just during this visit. They, <laughs> they came to a meet-and-greet that happened at St. Alphonse's Church, and they posted mm -hmm. a video, and they interviewed you before we got here. They interviewed both of us. Mm -hmm. And they asked me to submit a list of my scariest Halloween yes, reads. Yes. And I didn't include you. Of course not. Because you're, I don't find your book scary. I understood. I, but right, did it, you get it? Like, because that was the headline: Christopher leaves mother off list of five scary Halloween reads. And I was uh -huh. like, well, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I you're okay. That, I can stay. I, of course, I, I can <laughs> keep being your son. I put I put the article up on my Facebook page. I understood completely. And I thought the headline was a hoot. I thought it was a screen. And, every, and a lot of people logging on said the same thing. I don't think of her books as scary. One person said something I thought was very funny. They said uh, he should have listed her pornography as extremely <laughs> scary. Yeah, scary I've seen for you, me. I've seen you try and read that out loud. If they read the erotic romance that I'm putting out, that will seem like an act of rank hypocrisy if I say that. But, you know, it's, yeah. um, it is uh, <laughs> just because it's you. I do not condemn those books in any unilateral way beyond that. It's just hard to read your but I have sexual to say, fantasies. I, I, I don't really react to the Chronicles as a fearful sort of no, thing either. It's, I don't consider them horror novels at all. The, the, the revelation of Interview and all of it is the reinvention of the vampire as a very romantic, poetic yeah. figure. Yeah. Of a I, sort I of think, existential I, yeah, questioning. I've been criticized for not being scary. Well. But, that, but that's ridiculous. I mean, that's like, and I've been criticized for not being an architect. Like, how yeah. can you, you know, I, that's people who are wedded to a single vision of the vampire and that defeats the right. whole purpose. It's like, I wish she hadn't reinvented vampires. Mm. Okay. I mean, it's like saying, I wish Stephanie Meyer hadn't put them in high school. That's the mm. whole thing. That's mm. her thing. That's what she did. Yeah. So it's the same. It's the same as the gender question. It's about being forced to play a particular role, and what mm -hmm. you did with the vampires was to have them step out of a role they'd been forced to play. And That's it. Well, Principal Stott's very much about that. They don't want to play the role anymore of the damned and the abomination. They're just refusing to do it. You know, the whole what? tribe and Princess Stott is refusing. Are they reacting? How are the fans reacting to Princess Lestat now that they've? had the chance to read it. It's only been a couple of days, but well, I'm sure that's been um, voracious. I would say readers, it's the same polarized reaction that all my books get. There are some people loving the book and praising it, and other people saying it's just horrible. You know, they're going on to say it's just terribly written, it's it's awful, she should quit. Uh, so it's, it's really the same as always. I mean, uh -huh. I'm not terribly surprised. Uh, I think it's the way, I mean, I've come to expect it. But it's the same reception that most very visible best-selling books get now. Is that true? Well, yeah, yeah. because there's an op the internet provides an opportunity for everybody to respond at once. Right. And rarely does everybody like one thing. Exactly. You know, like if you go on for, you know, Green Blonde beans. Girl or Fifty Shades of <laughs> Grey, yeah. you're going to yeah. be able to find the same stuff. Yeah. And you will find a community of people who are defining themselves by their hatred 
mm -hmm. or something. We sometimes do it on the dinner party show with certain things we don't Us? like. Never. <laughs> you know. But Why so do, how could you say such a thing, Captain Butler? How are you tall? <laughs> it's the, it happens. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> We have our opinions sometimes, and they are very well, sharp. But of the never... people who love it, what are the people who love it saying about the book? What is it that's touched the... Because I know what it was well, for I me, tell you, but... It's hard for people uh, to articulate what they like about the book yet because people are being very cautious not to include spoilers. Mm. So they cannot... Oh, there, there's so many surprises in this book. I mean, there, there really are a whole are. bunch of surprises. There really are. And so people are being very thoughtful. Now, the, the people that have actually written essays that I would call almost literary criticism, they've said a lot of very interesting things about the contents, but they have spoiler alerts, and we can't really talk about it in depth without ruining the yeah, reading process yeah. for somebody. But the book the is world. being praised for having so many characters. It's being condemned for having so many characters. It's being, <laughs> you know, it's being praised for bringing them right into the modern world and talking about it today. It's being put down for bringing them into the modern world. It's being praised for having Fareed, the vampire scientist, whom I think you meet early enough in the book that it's not a spoiler. It's being condemned for having Fareed, you know. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing some patterns emerge, but I think in, it, it's going to take more time and more reviews. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's all happening. It's wonderful. I read every review, regardless of where oh, it comes in. You're a stronger at least woman once. than I am. You're at least once. I, can't I may not them. go back and ever read it again, right. but I, I read it once. And I really do care what the readers think. I always have. Mm -hmm. I just, I think people are going to love the way you've taken the mythology that you created and expanded it in this whole wonderful new way. I just, I, so. I was yeah. so swept away. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, well, I, I hope, I hope. I, I felt when I was writing it like I was reporting from the, the center of a culture that was real to me. They were real and they had a history and, and they were in crisis and I was reporting from the interior. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a, a lot of fun. And then the potential for where it goes next. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Amazing. Where, where, so, do you know where it goes next? Oh yeah, more of same. I mean, it. Yeah. it I'm, I. I think uh, I opened a lot of doors. A lot of stories were told, and there's still some things mm -hmm. to be developed. I mean, I just got started with the Talamasca. Mm. I made some very um, um, key revelations as to how the order was founded and who did it yes. and I want to talk more about what they want now you know they they're just getting started mm -hmm. that story of the Talamasca they're going through a kind of uh, mutation as an order the Talamasca for anybody who isn't familiar is this order of uh, paranormal scholars that have mm -hmm. existed for a thousand years and they've always studied the vampires mm -hmm. and and I finally did come out and say how they started and who started them and um, I want to get into what they now want of the vampires. Mm -hmm. Now that they've come out of the closet as who they are, they want some answers. Or they want some interaction with the vampires, right. some direct interaction. When I was working on a screenplay adaptation of Tale of the Body Thief, which we've talked about, which Universal has optioned along with all of you, almost everything you've ever written, vampire-related, uh, I came up with a guess as to where the Talamasca had come from. I had one scene in there that was sort of hinted at their origin, and you said, Christopher, take that out. <laughs> and I said, why? And she said, because you're wrong. That's not where they came from. <laughs> and that's when I knew that the Prince Stott, which you had not finished yet, mm -hmm. was going to have some explanation of their origins in it. Yeah, yeah. Bees. Because that, that was all we had before. Yeah. Bees. Bees. Well, Certain the bees. psychic members the of the bees. Talamasca knew that some of, something having to do with the origin story had to do with bees. Yeah, and it's, it's not, you know, it's not all that uh, logical or, or, or uh, 
it's kind of almost a peripheral thing that happened with the bees, but um, I had a lot of fun developing the Telemasca, the idea of this order that had it's gone on for a thousand device. years of chronicling what, what goes on with ghosts, witches, vampires, werewolves, every form of paranormal behavior, and yet remains true to its own principles just to watch observe, record, and help when they can. They've helped people who were being persecuted during the witchcraft um, holocaust in Europe. Right. You know, they helped people escape and, and gave them shelter in their mother house in Amsterdam, which was a very liberal city during mm -hmm. the Renaissance. And, and it's, it took me, I didn't jump the gun on where they came from. I wanted to feel very strongly about it and mull it over for years. Well, you weren't writing that book yet. I mean, if you had started to talk about exactly where they'd come from, it would have eaten up a novel that was supposed to be about a sod or, or something else. But I, mean, I kind of knew where they came from. Did you? Know? you? Yeah, I did. But I was, like I said, I was going to let this brew in my own mind for years. Right. Yeah. Well, right. they are a brilliant device to underpin the the rest of the chronicles because it, it gives a sort of place where the history and the mythology is invested when you need to bring that into the story. Here are the scholars who actually have yeah. been keeping the, the records to report it for us. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I could write books just about the Telemaster. Oh, my God. Write the people that series. go bad, like in... Tale of the Body Thief, Raglan James, he comes from the Telemasca and he's mm. a bad guy. He uses right. their knowledge for gain, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, obviously there are a lot of opportunities for plots with the Telemasca. Absolutely. With people Just trying to do bad stuff and cause trouble and so forth. So do you only see vampire novels in the near future or what do you say? For a while, I mean, for a while. Yeah. I, I want to get back very much to the wolves. I really love the Morphin Kinder, and I want to get back to their home, Nidec Point in Mendocino County. And I want to get back to my Angel Time uh, novels oh. with Mokaya and Toby O'Dear. Mm. But I, I think that right now I've got to do at least two more with Lestat and the tribe and what's going on with them. And they will be big novels in scope, like Prince Lestat, involving everybody and how they're responding. Excellent. So what would what would not be a big novel in scope for you? I mean, what would you consider one of your smaller novels? And leaving out the new tales of the vampires like Pandora and Victoria, which were which were very slow. Well, those books. memoir books though were an example the where the vampire I would take, Armand and Blood and Gold. Yeah, I would take one character and I would talk about his history. Yeah. And you know, it, a lot of the readers asked me to do that and were very supportive when I did. But a lot of the others weren't. Mm -hmm. They would criticize those books and say they're just about one character. Right. It's just backstory. But that's exactly what people were asking. Would you mm -hmm. give us the backstory? Would you tell us Armand's whole story? They're right. still asking every day on the page for that. Will you give us a book about Bianca? Will you give us a book about Gabrielle, mm -hmm. uh, Lestat's mother, whom I personally despise far too much to write a book? <laughs> Whoa, Probably. really? Yes, I've never thought Gabrielle was a very nice person. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Margaret Mitchell said that about Scarlett. I never thought Scarlett was a very nice person. <laughs> she kind of wasn't. Yeah, but um, anyway. Uh, well, I mean, we I don't we don't know where Gabrielle's been between the Queen of the Damned. Not even she doesn't even show up in the Queen of the Damned, right? Or, yeah, she does. She's there in the Queen of the Damned, okay. and she shows up after Memnock the Devil when Lestat is lying comatose on the floor right. of the chapel in New Orleans. She comes and she sits there for a while with him. You right. Know? But she always does have that sort of bad mom kind of. Oh yeah, you know. 
thing well, going on. He relax and enjoy being a vampire. She wanted to go out and enjoy being a vampire, and he was all about, where did we come from? It was Who like she was gods? liberated. It yeah. was like, yeah, yeah, I got some things to do. Yeah, and, right. and she also didn't find him all that interesting. So she wanted to go roaming off into the north woods and the forest. Yeah, she had yeah. some wild times. You can just tell. Right, yeah. It's not being vampire cougar. <laughs> Gab that's the title Gabrielle Vampire Cougar oh that's so fun that's so fun so are you enjoying being back in New Orleans oh very very much I totally love it here I want to have a condo here oh in the quarter, okay in the French Quarter someday okay. It is I a really treat do to walk it. down the street with you in New Orleans <laughs> and have people stop for photographs or to tell you how much you mean to them or wax poetic about your work or your contribution to the city. It really I has. Last it. time it wasn't quite like that. I, I don't know if it's because we were not exactly on Halloween the last time we were here. I think we were a few nights before or after. I well, can't remember. Well, I, I still met a lot of people even last time. They would Did come roaming down. Yeah, they yeah. would. But this time we have not been able to oh, go yeah. about five feet without you being Well, it stuck. was Halloween and people are here to celebrate yeah. Halloween in the French And the, the ball. Like, people yeah. came from all over the world for this ball. Australia. Australia. Canada, yeah. Afghanistan, Norway. Afghanistan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's right. We had a, a veteran from Afghanistan. That's right. Yeah. Or no active duty, actually. Two women last night from Afghanistan. Two women yes. came from yes. Afghanistan. Yes. Wow. Or they were just there. I didn't quite get the whole story. they been in Afghanistan. Yeah, but they, they were from Afghanistan. They were yeah, it's amazing, amazing United Nations there at the, at the ball. That's fantastic. Well, what people bring to the costumes for this uh, is, is incredible. It's really very much like Mardi Gras. But if you've never seen Mardi Gras, it would be a shock to see that too because the masking and the costumes is so great. That's fantastic. Yeah, it really did come together almost like a choreographed staged number last night because of the the overall feeling of well and i think it gets back to what we were talking about earlier about taking that second line idea outside of new orleans and will people get it and will they join in most of the people there last night were from outside of new orleans and i think they got it so I think we should take the party on the road and do it every weekend in a different city. What do you think? Let's start <laughs> well, next weekend. And rise well, circuit parties. And certainly when uh, Universal and Imagine do make a new Lestat movie, <laughs> we should fly out the Indians to the premiere. Absolutely. And have them dancing on the red carpet. Absolutely. And Wonderful. chanting and so forth and so on. Absolutely. That's how you do the red carpet. With the, You just stop every few feet yeah. for a few pictures. And they can for sing for everybody. You know. I posted a photograph on Facebook that's amazing. It's sort of half blurry, but it's the Indians are dancing around you, but you can't see any of their limbs or heads. You can just see their feathers and their then your smiling face and the <laughs> swirl of feathers. And I wrote, and that was the last time we we saw her last night. <laughs> She's now she was raptured she by the feathers of the, the Indians. Feathers. Yeah. yeah, excellent. Well, we're going to take a short break here on the Dinner Party Show. We're bringing you a special edition. We're not live, but we are in New Orleans, and we're recording this on the Saturday after the Lestat Coronation Ball from the super secret hotel suite of my mother, Anne Rice. Eric Shaw Quinn is here as always. As always, no getting rid of me, particularly no for this kind of, of party. Absolutely, and we're gonna take a break here for a few words from our sponsors, if you will, and then we'll be back here with more from Anne Rice and Prince Lestat. <laughs> Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? Well, that depends. 
Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing uh, sets the I, scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? <laughs> Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we are joined by our very special guest, or as we call her, the premier party person. Absolutely. She was our first ever guest on The Dinner Party Show. I wonder how we landed her. Anne Rice. Anne, are you with us? I am with you. (laughs) I am with you, yes. It is late in the day. Anne, we have just returned from Anne signing a Palette of books. Oh my God! For, for pre-sale, I Garden signed eight hundred. Eight hundred books. Now, not all the new book, right? Some of it was most, backlist. Most was princeless. Garden District Books graciously took phone orders from all over the world wow. from people who wanted autographed copies of Princeless Todd. They had to cut off at seven hundred. Yeah. So we signed a hundred there of other titles and stuff that people had ordered. But I'm glad to do that because. My readers really do love autographed hardcovers, and yeah. I appreciate that, and I, I try to satisfy that demand. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We have a picture of the palette of books on our uh, Instagram account, our three-week-old Instagram account, The Dinner Party Show is our screen name, but we took a picture of the palette before you had signed a single book, and I think it took up maybe half of a wall mm-hmm. in, yeah, an, it was in a small office. Like grand piano. I wanted to get a picture <laughs> grand of grand right. scrolls on the top of it like a diva yeah. lying across this pile of books. It was enormous. It was the size of a car. We'll be going on to other places and yeah. probably signing a lot of books in the same well, way. Well, this was just the pre-signing, right? So tomorrow, or the, the day that this airs, Sunday, yes. we will be signing, uh, or by the time this is aired, we will have signed at Garden right. District Bookstore, so hopefully for a long 
long line of people. It seems yes. like that's the. Trend. But you'll also be signing your new book. I will the Vines. be signing the vines. I will, and uh, and then you're both off from here onto book tour. And where some where are some of the places that you're going to be? Uh, I think we go to Boston next. Ooh, and, cold. Uh, it, we we uh, the whole schedule will be on Facebook. Yes. There are a lot of different stores that we're going to. So we'll post those links, yeah. of course, on the page. Absolutely, Shay. We'll post those right yeah. now on our Facebook page. Yeah. Um, so. Is it also posted on your website, AnneRice.com? Yes, it is. Great. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You go to Boston. I go to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. I'm doing an event at the newly reopened Giovanni's Room Tuesday night, Election mm -hmm. Day. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so go vote first. Yes, vote first. Yes, um, vote. But yeah, I mean, this is, uh, listen, not many authors get big book tours anymore, but you are an author that they will come out for when you tour. And I, I think that makes you in your publisher's eyes at least, a very precious commodity. Mm -hmm. Because anybody who can bring them into the stores is good, A, for the stores, mm. um, but it's also good for them, you know? Mm. And I think you did an event in New York where it, you signed for several hours, right? I did, yeah. yeah. I was on stage with Vicki Wilson, my editor of 40 years. Mm -hmm. I have a great relationship. Vicki's been, years. been involved be. with this from the beginning. She was the young 23-year-old who flipped out over Interview with the Vampire and published it <laughs> and um, was very courageous in doing so. It was a very weird book. So if you're doing your math at home, Vicki was 23 years old and when was that, 1975? 1974 when she first read it. 1974, okay. Maybe a little earlier. So if you want to know how Vicki Wilson, how old Vicki Wilson is, get your calculator <laughs> out now. Or you could just ask her. You could I don't probably think Vicki would ever mind telling She's you. She's not the type of person who would conceal her age. She's actually I'm really loving appearing with Vicki and talking with her because I think I think ours is one of the oldest relationships in New York publishing. Remarkable. Most people just don't stay 40 years. with I, one you house have for to 40 be. years. So she's been a part of the whole Chronicles she all has. along. She has. And when I do publish something or do write something that she cannot publish like the erotica, she recommends the place that well, I go to and why, why keeps the door. Why couldn't she publish it? Was it just, it wasn't... She didn't get it. Oh, okay. She just didn't get it. She didn't understand what it was all about. It wasn't <laughs> her thing. And I can't speak for her, but I mean, that was the gist of it. But she recommended Bill Whitehead at Dutton, who subsequently published all three Roca Lara novels and did a beautiful job. Cool. So, Excellent. And yeah. But there were other books. There were Anne Rampling books. There a couple were, of and those, and she did not want to publish those either. Right. And that was fine. Yeah. But we remain friends, and we remain close, and she has always been just incredible. Are you, going, are you doing any other tour dates with Vicki? Yes, yes, I think we're doing one in You're Philadelphia. appearing together at the Miami Book Festival in a and few weeks. And the Miami weeks. Book yes. Festival. Oh, yeah. that'll be fun. Next Sunday, a week from today, I should say, or a week from when this airs, you will be live on stage with us in beautiful Burbank, California. At BentCon. At BentCon, which is the uh, world's only celebration of LGBT contributions to pop culture and geekdom and this is the first time we are doing a live show a live show of our show somewhere other than our studio it's a live remote show right yeah absolutely. so right now room service room is actually service is coming here. in yes Anne's it's dinner has arrived because we invaded her hotel room the dinner party show there is actual dinner coming into yes, the room actual dinner coming into the room so that's fantastic but we do want to remind everybody that yes we will be doing the first of its kind live on location we've been calling it 
Right. It, we would be, I mean, we would be originating live from a remote spot other than our studios. The comfy confines we usually occupy on the Sunset Strip. I'm a little nervous about it, but I think all good things we'll are worth the risk. We'll see what happens. And if there's a lovely reprise of uh, Joan L. Sam's uh, special yes. from Poison Creek, you'll know that we didn't quite figure out how or to do the Or we can re-air this show and we can say right now, if you're hearing this show on Sunday, November right. 9th, it's because the internet dropped out at the Marriott Burbank Hotel. Tell, but we will probably be recording that experience anyway. And uh, we'll play it later or something. Who knows? But here's hoping, right? It's a, we're very, and of course, Anne Rice, our premier party person, will be our very first live remote guest. And so we'll be catching up on all the backstage tour details. Absolutely. But if you're if you're still awake by then, are you tired? Oh, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> oh my I'm God! Tired. I'm surprised oh. you didn't pass out signing all those 800 books at Garden District. Uh, yeah, that and the ball. Uh, the we, ball last night, we then the 800 plates. We arrived at the ball, I think, at precisely the time you are usually, you have been in your nightgown for four hours by yes, the time we yes. arrived at the yes. ball. <laughs> yes. You've been, usually you're in front but of your But that could really be, you know. Here. But don't you think it's true that no writer, except for you, Eric, no, no, you don't want to leave the house either. No writer ever really... It's like, what are we doing outside? We should be at home making up stories and reading and living in the li living the life of the mind, if you will. Right. What am I doing in this airport? I, I find that once I'm, once I'm going, once I'm in it, I'm fine. But for the three days of before, of preparing to leave, and, mm -hmm. and you start to think about the schedule all at once, it becomes absolutely overwhelming. Although I have to say, if you're appearing in an event like the Lestat Ball, the, the energizing quality of the crowd is enough to carry you along. Yeah. We were there for hours. We I couldn't believe how long, long you stayed. I couldn't well, believe it. Well, we actually stayed uh, only two and a half hours. That's but a it, long time. Yeah, 9 to 11.30. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure they partied on, had other great bands. We were bands. supposed to stay I, out to two. There I, was a wonderful yeah. uh, Stevie Nicks. Uh, yeah, the Stevie Nicks tribute band was fabulous. Just, but they it's the had longest I've ever seen Eric on. stay at a party that wasn't about Eric. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> That's how long we were there. And it even then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those, I'm sorry to interrupt you. This The Stevie Nicks tribute band was amazing, and they sang the most recent Stevie Nicks song about New Orleans that actually has you referenced in it. It was nice. Yeah. yeah. It was it nice. Was nice. Yes. Yeah. Bourbon Street, right? I think it's called New Orleans. Okay, here's the most important question. How do you pronounce New Orleans? Anyway at all. You can say New Orleans. I say it New Orleans. I don't agree. I say it New Orleans. You say New Orleans? New Orleans? New yeah. Orleans. That's the way I grew up saying it. But I can say New Orleans when I'm singing. To myself on the way down here. New Orleans. You know? <laughs> or I can say walking to New Orleans, like yeah. Fats Domino. Right, know? absolutely. All the great New Orleans songs, different ways. Yeah, well, know? tonight we played uh, Do You Know What It Means to Miss New Orleans by yeah. Louis Armstrong, and maybe we should go, call it the Armstrong pronunciation, yeah. New Orleans. Right. But I always thought that was wrong when I was growing up. I felt like all the locals called it either New Orleans or New Orleans, yeah. and apostrophe A W L I N S. Yeah. yeah, I've always yeah. said New Orleans, like it was one sort of word. Or yeah. the Big Easy. The Big Easy, absolutely. Yeah. The Crescent City. Crescent City. The yeah. City That Care For God. Maybe it's all the songs that have made New Orleans such a famed place. Maybe it was the music, the, the singing, you know, being named. Like, yeah. I left my heart in San Francisco. Like, maybe yeah. if your city had a great song about it, it would turn into a great city like New Orleans. Well, I think the city came first, the songs came second. I could use some more songs about New Orleans. I, I think of writing a song about it. 
It would help if I could read music or carry a tune, but <laughs> I'm not easily discouraged. That doesn't know. stop a lot of people from writing songs. I mean, look, Kesha's had a great somebody. career, and she's all auto-tune, and yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You you might have a big music career out of you. Yeah, you and Kesha, just yeah, like you, this. <laughs> I think that's a collaboration. Key dollar sign, huh? K dollar sign, huh? Um, I, you know, I think that's probably why L.A. is not recognized as a, as a city, because it doesn't have a, a single great song that's been written about it. Don't bring up that stupid Randy Newman <laughs> I, If anybody talks to me about Randy Newman again, I'm just going to... If Randy Newman sings at one more Oscar ceremony, I'm going to become heterosexual to protest, <laughs> to protest Randy Don't Newman. Don't go over... That'll Blanket. fix it. <laughs> That'll show... You got an animated film in me. Oh, it's just all the same damn song. I can't stand it. Okay. See, we have our own opinions too here on the yeah. news. We do party occasionally. Show. We do very occasionally. I actually, I love LA. Is actually, I actually kind of like that song. I think it's fun. You Didn't would. you do that thing called Short People? Wasn't yes. that him? That one I could live without. Oh, but, that was a great song. But, um, but, but, Short People. I love that song. Sing the whole song. I don't know the whole song. Okay. Well, oh, don't forget L.A. Woman, guys. That's, Are you a lucky little a lady song, in the city of night or another lost angel? You know, the, um, the bathroom where the doors recorded, I want to say it's L.A. Woman, but it might be another one of their famous songs, is a historical landmark inside this restaurant on mm -hmm. Santa Monica Boulevard and uh, La Cienega, uh, right next to an auto zone. Or, a, or it's like a radio, car radio shop. Yeah, the, the restaurant used to be called Benvenuto. You remember Benvenuto? Oh, that's the bathroom. I thought it was at the Rainbow Room. No, well, there's it. a there's a bathroom there where there's some sort of plaque that says this is where they recorded it because they loved the acoustics in this bathroom. It was like marble bathroom or something. And so the place is like changing hands or I know I, I know marble. I don't know. I, I was, I, I they had Benvenuto, something in there okay, that made for good. good, good. I'm not sure that yeah. it was marble. So anyway, this Could has been be. a fascinating side trip into Los Angeles history as the three of us start to sink from exhaustion Everybody here in Anne Rice's hotel suite. Well, Everybody I don't, needs I don't mind saying I think L.A. is an underrated city. It's yes. a great city. It's a great capital. It it's is. a great capital with great symphony, great opera, great museums, and people don't talk about that enough. It's a cultural you know? center in so it's many a capital, ways for the whole world. A place yes. where ideas originate and go forth to influence the rest of the and culture. And trends start and to It's go just so fashionable to badmouth L.A. It is very fashionable. You know why? Because we're all so happy there. Yeah. Because everyone else is just miserable and jealous. No, <laughs> I think the reasons are very complicated. I think a lot of them have to do with the movie industry, but I also think that it's a center of a lot of things that also maintains its connection to... I'm trying to think of words that aren't condescending or dismissive, but it maintains a connection to the rest of the country. I think more of a connection to the rest of the country than a city like New York or even Boston sure. does. That they yeah. can become very walled off and elitist They are. There's culturally. no place like New York at yeah. all. Yeah, and it's particularly now that New York is so expensive mm -hmm. to live in, it's becoming mm -hmm. a city of the 1%. Sure. It's still a wonderful city, and I'm not trashing New York, but no. but the L.A.-New York rivalry. And in L.A., as long as you're talking about us, we really don't care what you're saying. We really don't care, and as long as you buy everybody, we're like a drug dealer in that sense, because everybody's addicted to our product, right. which is entertainment. The world is addicted to the entertainment that comes out of Los Angeles, so... You know, yeah, hate us all you want, but uh, you're not. You're still buying our just stuff. Just buy our tickets, so yeah. yeah, and we'll be just fine. Speak as ill as <laughs> you like. Well, we already told people what we're doing next week. We will be live on stage, we hope, at BentCon. But, but it always bears repeating, I think. In beautiful Burbank, California. And you, Ian Rice, will once again be with us, only it will not be recorded as it was tonight. It will be 
God bless us, we hope a live show in front of a live audience of LGBT. And the two of you are departing on tours, you to go out and uh, promote the Vines and and you to go out and promote the Prince Lestat. And it, will you be appearing anywhere together? Uh, we will be appearing together in New York City this Friday evening at the Strand Bookstore. Excellent. Oh, we will also be appearing together at the... You're, you're so great. You're hearing this Yeah, I didn't know time. we were going to be together. We'll I be mean, together I, you know, also I, the night or two nights before in Hartford, Connecticut at the Mark Twain House on Wednesday cool. night. Cool. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. exciting. I, I can't absorb the schedule. I would no. die of, of, of fear if I did. <laughs> so what I do is I just show up. That's you know, right. I, I met President Clinton one time. It was a very thrilling experience. And I went into raptures about how he kept up with his incredible schedule. And he turned to me with his great blue eyes and that terrific smile. And he said, I try to show up. <laughs> and I never forgot that. Try it's to show advice. up. That's it. Just take it's it one advice. thing at a time. You just go where they tell you. That's what yeah, I that's do. what I think he was saying. I go where they tell yeah. you. Yeah. On the dinner party show, we just do what Eric says. That's yes. our, yeah, just <laughs> do what Eric says. It'll it's be just easier. easier for everyone. Unless there's equipment that needs to be set up, as there was in the case of this little setup, in which case we did what Christopher said. Right, and you did a brilliant job. Thank you. We're Thank all you. recorded. We're all the Christ our technician tonight was Christopher, although Brandon will still be assembling the show. He sure will. And for anyone who's interested in the behind the scenes of the dinner party show, we will be emailing these sound files through the miracle of cyberspace to Brandon Griffith, our sound designer, and he will in almost no time at all be putting them together into a fresh new episode of the dinner party show, which will debut when it is debuted. If you're hearing this, it's already debuted. So, And that's the timer letting us know we are out of time tonight <laughs> on the Dinner Party Show. I didn't know the sound Anne was Rice, turned thank on. Thank you for letting us invade. Thanks, oh, Mom. I've loved me. it. I've loved it. And we're, here we are in, in the French Quarter. It's been wonderful. We're right over Royal Street. We're yeah, having a great time. Yes, and this has been great. It's been it's wonderful. Been and thanks to everyone who attended the Lestat Ball, oh, all yeah. of the party people. And everybody who attended the meet and greet. Absolutely. And I'm so sorry we couldn't get to everybody and shake hands with everybody. I was also to sorry to hear that a party person and a big fan of yours, Michael Rakowski, actually injured himself in the French Quarter and was unable to attend the ball. Oh, he tripped I'm very and sorry fell. to and hear so that. sorry to hear that. Sorry, Michael. Hope we you're hope feeling you're better. feeling better and that you had a New Orleans experience yeah. regardless. Well, I think trivia. And, and a quick shout out, quick yeah. shout out to Greg Wilkie who yes. was here, and Granny Goodwich who was here Goodwich. with her man, and Buffy and, Peterson. Uh, we always Buffy we can't Peterson, mention Buffy enough, yeah. and a lot of other people. The page yeah. were here a and, lot. Uh, maybe yeah. next year we'll get Samiko Salson here in the. We could yeah. have a page party. We could have a page party. We could have a show party. That's what we could do. Yeah. Anyway, that's all the time we have. I'm cutting this thing off. All We've right, all had then. too much talk. All right, then. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. Good night, gentlemen. Good Thanks. night, Mom. I've been to a marvelous party. We hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane, otherwise known as Royal Street, in the New Orleans French Quarter. And spoiler alert, we did actually make it to the Burbank Airport Marriott, and we did manage to put together our first ever live on location show with special guest, you guessed it, Anne Rice. We'll bring you a special presentation of that exciting event next week. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.